You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. The scripture this morning is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for all of the gifts that you've given us, um, that you see fit um, in each one of us, that you've given us your spirit to um, use those gifts as you will. We pray that you would just prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your message through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We just thank you for everyone that is here today and the message that you'll be bringing us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, As I have mentioned before, we are sort of pausing our uh, going through the book of Acts just real briefly here. Uh, We were going to dedicate three sermons, but uh, we're going to have to dedicate four sermons uh, to the work of the Spirit in the book of Acts. Because uh, if you look at the book of Acts, the Spirit is very, very active in the book of Acts. We see His activity everywhere. Hopefully we see His activity everywhere in our own lives and in our community as well. But we see Him very active in the book of Acts. And so, although we're not going to, like, talk about every uh, thing that the Spirit does in the book of Acts, some of that will be covered as we go along in, in, in context. There are uh, three of the works of the Spirit that I wanted, that are so maybe controversial, so muddled in many of our minds, including my own mind, that, that it felt like, okay, it'd be good to, like, set aside one sermon for some of these topics, right? And, and so mainly there are three of them. So we started this a couple of weeks ago, and a couple of weeks ago we talked about spirit baptism. And we said that spirit baptism is a, about incorporation. 
So both Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, but then also Luke in the book of Acts, what we see there is that uh, what God is saying is he is bringing both Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, into Jesus' new kingdom network through spirit baptism. So spirit baptism is about incorporation. That was two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about spirit filling, which is not about incorporation, but about empowerment for witnessing to Jesus, both in the context of the church. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 5, but then also in the face of opposition. So we see that in Acts chapter 2, 4, 9, and 13. So that, that was last week. Today, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit or spiritual gifts but we're really going to give special attention to the most controversial of the spiritual gifts, and that is the gift of tongues. All right? Anybody nervous? Or, yeah. We're going to talk about the gift of tongues today. Um, <clears throat> you're very quiet right now. And so we're going to kind of cover this um, by trying to answer three different questions, okay? The first question is just sort of general. And that is, what are spiritual gifts? Right? And, and we're going to seek to try to give like a working definition of that. Then we're sort of going to try to zoom in to talk about the gift of tongues. And we're going to ask two questions relative to that. So the, the second question is going to be about what role did the gift of tongues play in the book of Acts? We'll, we'll look at that. We'll try to answer that question. And then lastly, the third question that we'll try to answer is, uh, what did tongues become at Corinth? So these three questions, that, that's what we're going to try to do. Now, let me give a, uh, a disclaimer just here right at the beginning. I am, I am not, not <laughs> a subject matter expert in sp speaking in tongues or what, you know, all, all there is to say about that. Many people for many years, you know, linguists, theologians, Bible exegetes, they've given a lot of attention to this topic. There are whole books just written on this one topic, and within those books, there are a variety of uh, positions about how to think about these things that are, that are very different from one another, actually. But Bible-believing, God-loving Christians, dare I say spirit-filled Christians have a whole bunch of opinions about this that are different, right? And so one of the things I want to mention here at the beginning is, is speaking in tongues or how we think about speaking in tongues is I, I do not want to elevate that to a position where that's something that would divide us at Enclave Community Church. Other churches might take that stance. I, I really recommend that we don't, right? And so <clears throat> as I speak or try to answer these questions... I will um, probably uh, disappoint some of you with how I answer them, right? And, and there's a variety of opinions even within the elder board regarding this topic. So, but I want you to think about this sermon, and there's going to be a part two, hopefully, Lord willing, uh, to this sermon as just like kind of like the beginning of the conversation regarding this topic. Um, and, and, and so in no way am I trying to say like, now here is the final word. Everybody's been arguing about this for years and years and years, but now I'm going to solve it all for you in a couple of weeks. That's, that's not what's happening. But, but we'll give our best effort 
towards answering these questions. So let's, let's turn our attention there. So the first question is, okay, what are spiritual gifts anyway? So a good place to start uh, would be uh, at the passage that Shannon read for us. I'm going to read a couple of those verses um, again. I might skip some of the verses, but let's see what we see in there. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts. It's pretty clear that this is the topic that he's talking about. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And skipping down to verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God, right, where the topic is spiritual gifts, no one speaking in the Spirit of God, like using their spiritual gift to speak, ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is gifts of the Spirit, when they're employed, they will never curse Jesus or dismiss Jesus or distract from Jesus. They will always exalt Jesus as Lord. So that's important to note. Then in verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Then skipping down to verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Then in verses 8 through 10, he's going to list out nine spiritual gifts, right? Things like words of knowledge, healing, miracles, but then also various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, this list is not meant to be exhaustive, and one of the ways in which we know that is that there are other lists, Uh, in the New Testament that list out spiritual gifts. Like in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, there's kind of some overlap between roles that people play in the church and and, and spiritual gifts. You you could see that later in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 even. But in Ephesians chapter 4, there's another very, very short list in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. We're not going to look at those today, but just know that they're there. And then also, it's interesting to note that Tongues are not listed in those. Tongues are not part of those lists, but they are part of this list. So we have to reckon with that. Then he says this in verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. And then what Paul goes on to do for the rest of uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is he goes on to say how Everyone has a spiritual gift, and they all have their different roles within the one body of Christ, whether they're a nose or an ear or an eye. Like, they all have their different roles, and he goes on to talk about that. So there are two, I think, observations that we can make regarding spiritual gifts from these verses that I've pointed out. One is that they are given and empowered by the Holy Spirit to every Christian. So what did verse uh, uh, 4 say again? Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. What did verse 11 say? All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So spiritual gifts are God's idea. Like We don't have to be afraid of them. The Spirit of God is the one who gives them. Right? He decides who has what gift, right? And then he empowers those 
gifts to be used uh, in the church, okay? So that's one thing that we can say. They are given by and empowered by the Holy Spirit to every single Christian. The second thing that we can say is that they are given for the purpose of exalting Jesus and edifying the church, right? So what did verse 3 say? No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So exalting Jesus, then verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So it's for the edification of the church. So that, now, now those points are going to become a very big deal to Paul as he addresses the issue of speaking in tongues at the Corinthian church in chapter 14. So just kind of keep that in mind. So if we're trying to answer the question, what are spiritual gifts, then here's a working definition that, that, that maybe we could use. Spiritual gifts are special enablements. They in, sometimes include roles in the church that are given and empowered by the Holy Spirit to every Christian to exalt Christ and to build up the body of Christ. So what that means is, like kind of practically, is if you ever find yourself in a situation where the spiritual gifts are being used, but they are distracting from Jesus, they seem to exalt the person exercising those gifts, not exalting Jesus, then you can know that those gifts are not being used in the way that they were intended. So that's, that's one thing that we can take away from all this. And so that's kind of like the answer to the first question. But before we go to the second question, there's something else that we uh, I kind of glossed over that I think needs to be emphasized. And that is that not even though every Christian gets a spiritual gift, not everyone gets the same gift. And that's going to become important in our discussion about speaking in tongues. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit we were all, all Christians, were all baptized into one body, the body of Christ. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So we are all incorporated into Jesus' kingdom through spirit baptism. Then Paul goes on to talk about how everybody has their own gift, their own role to play in that body of Christ. And then he ends that section with uh, some questions, um, that, like the rhetorical questions, um, that end this way in verse 30. Do all possess gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, what's interesting about the language in which this is written is we, you know, context tells us what the answer to a rhetorical question is. And, and that's true here, too. But in the language this is written in, it takes it a step further. Like, there's no ambiguity, right? It's for certain that we're supposed to answer no, right? Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. So think about how important this is as we think about um, the gifts of speaking in tongues. What Paul is saying is, look, all Christians are baptized by the Spirit, and that's the way they are incorporated into the body of Christ. They all have a role to play in the body of Christ. They all have different gifts that they bring to the body of Christ. 
but not everyone has the same gift, and not everyone speaks in tongues. So, if anyone ever tells you, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian, or if they say, or even if they say, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you might be a Christian, but you're not a spirit-filled Christian, or you're not a spirit-baptized Christian. Now, this, this person who's telling you this, they, they may, man, they may love God with all their heart. They may love Scripture intensely. Right? But just because that's true doesn't mean, like, not everyone is correct about every point of doctrine, right? And the same is true of me, right? And so, like, and so we, we, can, we can disagree on that point, I think, on the basis of what Paul is, that, that doesn't seem to be in harmony with what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12. There aren't two classes of Christians, right? Those who speak in tongues and then those who don't, right? It's like that Dr. Seuss book, the one with the star on the belly and those who don't. No, that's not the situation. Like, we're, we all have our own spiritual gift and that, that we bring and that builds up the body of Christ. Okay, so let's, let's leave the first point. That's the uh, part of the first question. The second question is, okay, well, what role did speaking in tongues play in the book of Acts? So Luke, he talks about people speaking in tongues three times, three different occasions. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. We're pretty familiar with Acts chapter 2 because that's Pentecost, right? And the Spirit comes down on the 120 disciples. They speak in tongues, Right? Jewish pilgrims are there, and how many of them come to faith in Jesus? 3,000. Now, does it record them speaking in tongues? No. It doesn't mean that they didn't, but that's just interesting note, that they, they don't speak in tongues. Acts chapter 10, like we've called this uh, Pentecost remix for the Gentiles before, right? Because the same thing happens, right? But for the Gentiles, the Spirit is poured down onto the Gentiles, and then they speak in tongues. <clears throat> Another occasion is in Acts chapter 19. There we have disciples of John who have received a, a baptism of repentance from John in anticipation of the Messiah coming. But then they haven't been baptized in Jesus. So they're, they're, they're like, oh, okay, Jesus is the Messiah. They're baptized in Jesus. And they're like, hey, do you know about the Spirit? Who's that? You know? And then the, the Spirit comes down, right? They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they speak in tongues, right? So those three occasions. Now, it's likely, right, that in probably, yeah, it's probably likely that in Acts chapter 8, when the Samaritans received the Spirit, it's likely that they spoke in tongues too, but it doesn't mention it there. And, and so we'll just set that aside. We have these three occurrences, right? And in each case, <clears throat> it uses the same word for tongues, and so I think it's safe to assume that in each case we're talking about the same phenomenon. So the question still remains, though, okay, what is the nature of these tongues, right, and what's their function in, in the book of Acts? So the, the main place that we go for the nature of these tongues, like the place that gives us the most information, is in Acts chapter 2, right, which we should all know by now, right, like uh, 120 of Jesus' disciples, they're in this house in Jerusalem, Right, it's at Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. A, mighty, a sound of a mighty rushing wind comes into that house. The divided tongues of flame land on their heads. And then we read this in verse 4. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Right? So we've said before, pilgrim Jews from all over the world had made their way into Jerusalem to be able to celebrate Pentecost. Skipping to verse 7. And they were amazed, these pilgrims, and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They don't, they don't speak these other languages. <clears throat> verse 8. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Now, this word language is different than the word tongues. It's actually uh, a word that we get the word dialect from. That, man, we're hearing that, like, man, this is like Southern California. You know what I mean? It's like that, it's kind of like that you, deep into it, right? So they're in our own native languages. Then in verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues, there's tongues again, the, of the mighty works of God. So in Acts chapter 2, I think it's safe to assume in Acts chapter 10 and in Acts chapter 19 that tongues are spirit-given utterances that are languages unknown to the speaker. Like they didn't know these languages before. And they at least include known human languages. Right? It, it, it is possible that it includes more than that, right? Like we are introduced to the category of the language of angels in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. That could be uh, part of a rhetorical device that he's using there, but we'll talk about that next week. But at least most of, at least a, a large majority of what is being spoken are known human languages that the pilgrims can understand, right? They, and because they can understand them, because they're intelligible, there's a close association between intelligible tongues and prophecy. And we'll see this later. And that's why Peter can say, wait a minute, this is in fulfillment of what Joel said, that the Spirit would come down and that his people, all his people would prophesy. Peter, they're not prophesying, they're speaking in tongues. No. If, if tongues are interpreted, there's a close association between uh, intelligible tongues and prophecy. And you see the connection made in Acts chapter 19, verse 6. So this gives us kind of like a rough outline of what the nature of these tongues are in the book of Acts. But what was their function? Right? There appears to be at least two functions. One is that they are, they are meant to glorify God with praise. Right? So, and we'll talk about this more next week too, like tongues the direction they seem to go in is towards God. So from God, back to God. Prophecy is from God to others. Right? And so that, that's kind of like a distinction that's, that's made there. But, but with tongues, in the book of Acts, they are praise to God. So what's, that's why when they speak in tongues, what are they talking about? The mighty works of God, which in this context includes the resurrection of Jesus and Jesus' ascension to the right hand of God the Father. Now we find the same thing, or very similar thing at least, in Acts chapter 10, verse 45, where when the Spirit comes down on the Gentiles and they speak in tongues, it says they, they were speaking in tongues and extolling God. 
right? So it's about praise to God, right? So that's one thing that's going on. But I think another thing that is going on, another function of, of, of tongues in the book of Acts, because Acts is a transitional book going from the old covenant into the new covenant, these tongues serve as a very obvious sign to apostolic witnesses who are there to note, like, oh, wait a minute. Jesus' eschatological, his, his end-time kingdom is leaking into the present and pooling around all different kinds of people groups. What do you mean Gentiles are coming to Jesus? And like Peter's like, no, no, no. Like, like the Spirit fell on them too. Well, how do you know that, Peter? They were speaking in tongues, right? So it's very obvious. So uh, God the Father orchestrated these things to let the apostles know, like, oh, okay, Gentiles are being brought in too. And then Peter will make his case at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. So I think that's part of what's going on too. So in Acts... When we're answering the question, what role did tongues play in the book of Acts? They are meant to be praised to God in a language not known by the speakers as a manifestation of the Spirit that signaled, it signaled the arrival of a new era in Jesus. So that, that's part of the, the, the role that they play in the book of Acts. So that brings us to our third question. What had tongues become in Corinth? Okay, so to answer this question, I think it's helpful to think about the uh, idea of a dinner that has gone awry, a family dinner that has gone awry. So have you guys ever been in a family dinner where there is a lot of, there's a lot of self-centeredness? Everybody is trying to tell their joke or their story but nobody is listening. Everybody's talking over one another. So it gets really loud and it gets really chaotic, right? That, that, and then kids start, well, I'm imagining kids in this scenario, but maybe it doesn't always include kids. But, but people start leaving the table crying or angry. Has anybody ever been at a family dinner like that? Yeah, that, that happens. Now, what's the problem in that scenario? Were the stories not good? That's, that's not the problem. Were the jokes not funny? Maybe, maybe not, but that's, that's not the problem, right? The problem is, is that there's a lack of love that translated into a lack of order, and by that I mean space wasn't given for other people, right? So people were putting themselves above others, right? And so there became a lack of order. It was chaotic. And what was the result? The family was not built up. The family was torn down. People are leaving the table angry. Now, that analogy is pretty close to what was going on with the church at Corinth, right? So the church at Corinth, they, they were known for, imagine if this is what, you know, we were known for, right? They were known for division and immaturity. That, that's what they were known for. Right? I don't know if it was part of their mission statement, but that's what they were, that's what they were known for, though, right? And, so the, and that, that translated into their gatherings. So when they came for their love feasts, right, that culminated in the Lord's table, 
They're cutting each other in line. Some people are eating all the food. Like there's no more food left. Some of them are drinking all the wine and getting drunk, right? It's, a, it's just like a mess, right? And then when they came together for their worship services, one of the things that had happened at Corinth, it seems like from the evidence that we can see, is that they became enamored with the gift of tongues. And, and you can understand why, right? Like it's pretty sensational for you to start speaking in languages that you didn't already know, that type of thing. And then, they, and then they started to look down on others who didn't have that, right? And so those services began to be very self-centered, very chaotic, and they didn't build the church up. It tore the church down, right? So like we, so Paul addresses all of this in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. So what's interesting about that, a lot of times the, the letters in the New Testament, it's kind of like you're on one end, you're hearing one end of the conversation like on a telephone, right? Because he, Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is not to give you a systematic explanation of what it means to speak in tongues. He's actually correcting this scenario uh, with regard to what has happened at Corinth, right? So, but we can, we can listen in. And what Paul does is he addresses all of those situ situations, that whole situation in those chapters, right? And so what I want to do with the remainder of, of this message is just to give you, and we're not going to just slowly walk through chapters 12, 13, and 14, okay? Like, I just, I, in very, very, very broad strokes, I, I just want to give you the flow of argument of how Paul addresses that issue especially as it relates to speaking in tongues, which is actually his primary concern. That's not obvious in chapter 12, chapter 13, but by the time you get to chapter 14, you're like, oh, I can see the argument that he's been building. Okay? So remember in chapter 12, we've already talked about this. Paul makes a couple of important points, right? And we've, we've already talked about them. Through spirit baptism, people are incorporated into the one body of Christ. Every Christian is given a spiritual gift. Every Christian has a role to play in the building up of the body of Christ. Not everybody has the same gift, and not everybody speaks in tongues. So he, he's kind of like, he lets, you are enamored with tongues. Let's, let's think about this in its right place, right? Tongues are not given to everybody, and they are one gift among many <clears throat> with, with that build up the church. That's one thing, right? Then in, uh, in chapter 13, what he says, and on top of that, when you think about any of the spiritual gifts, they have to come under the umbrella of love. They have to come under the umbrella of love. So he begins this way in, in 1 Corinthians 13.1. He says, if you speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, or he says, if I, sorry, if I speak in the tongues of men and, and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, tongues without love, like without concern for building up the body of Christ, like that's not your, like that, that's, that's not your concern. You're just like, hey guys, watch this. I can speak in tongues. Like that's your concern. Right? He's, Paul says, that's worthless. It's not accomplishing 
um, anything. All the gifts have to come under the umbrella of, of love, right? So they're enamored with it. They're divisive. That's another thing to know. They're immature. It's like they, they've got this powerful gift. They don't know what to do with it. And so they're like, hey, maybe I can build myself up with this, right? And Paul's like, no, no. It has to come under the umbrella of love. You need to, to rearrange your priorities. And this is a good word for us, right? Because we, we can get enamored with things. God gives all kinds of good gifts. And our attention can turn from God to the gifts he's given and then try to exalt ourselves with that gift that's given. And then we've just lost sight, right? We need, we need God needs to come and talk to us and reprioritize everything. Everything has to come under the context of love, serving one another, loving Jesus. So that's what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. So not only is it one gift among many, not everyone has it. It all has to come under the umbrella of love. Then in 1 Corinthians 14, he goes on to say, and also, we need to prioritize intelligibility. We'll talk about this in a second. So prophecy, not only is it one among many, prophecy is a greater gift than the gift of tongues. And we'll talk more about prophecy next week, but just there's a priority there, right? And it has to do with intelligibility. Verse 5 says, now I want you, to all, I want you all to speak in tongues. Paul's not against speaking in tongues. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. That's the goal, that the church might be built up. So his main, if you put that in the context of all of chapter 14, you begin to understand his concern is with intelligibility versus unintelligibility. So tongues without interpretation is unintelligible, right? No one knows what's being said. So therefore, how Paul argues, it's not worth much in a public gathering because the people are not edified. Like, that's the goal, that people would be edified, right? Now, he'll also say, but tongues that are interpreted, so that people understand what they mean, right? And prophecy, and we said there's a close association between those two, those are intelligible. You can understand what they mean. Therefore, they are useful and can be used to edify the church. So that, that's, he, he lays down that truth, and then on the basis of laying down that truth, he gives them some instruction with regard to the use of tongues in the local assembly. He gives them a couple of practical things to do. Based on that truth, he says, limit the number of tongue speakers. Two, he says, at most three, limit the number of tongue speakers. Then he says, don't even try it if you, do, you look around at the congregation and you don't see anybody that you know has the spiritual gift of interpretation. He says, don't even do it. And then he says, do it, take turns, right? So what, what's Paul trying to do? He's, he's trying to have a family dinner that is glorifying to God. 
that edifies the family, right? Not one that is self-serving or doesn't edify, right? So when it comes to the question, what had tongues become in Corinth? I think the answer to that is the gift of tongues is a good gift, but as is the case with all good gifts from God, it can become an idol if it distracts from God and it tears down the body of Christ. Because that's not what the gifts of God are for. They are to build up the body of Christ and exalt Jesus. So next time we're together, we're going to kind of drill down a little bit deeper in chapter 14. And we'll try to answer questions like, okay, should tongue speaking only be limited to known human languages? What about tongues as a private prayer language? Like, what should we be thinking about that? Uh, uh, what about the different views regarding their continuation? Right? There are different views about that. Okay, so, and, and we'll try to tackle those. But the big, the big takeaway for today is if you believe that tongues continue, right, in our day, and there's discussion about that back and forth, but if you do, there's still a couple of things that you need to keep in mind. One is that not all speak them, right? There are not two classes of Christians, right? If they're to be used, they're to be used to exalt Jesus, edify the body, right? And it all has to, what has to be prioritized is love, intelligibility, because that, that is what's going to help the body of Christ grow, and there needs to be to be order to reflect the very nature of God. Right, so Paul, Paul's saying like, he, Paul is pro-tongues. Paul speaks in tongues. He wishes that they all spoke in tongues. But nevertheless, he has to say like, okay, this is a good gift from God, but it needs to be used to glorify God. And that's his main concern. And, and hopefully that's our main concern as it relates to any spiritual gift. Let's pray together. Father, you are the, the father of lights who give, gives good gifts. And Lord, um, and we want to come to you even, even asking that, that you would give us whatever gift you want to give us, Lord. But we also want to ask, Lord, that and even confess we regularly take your gifts and use them in ways that are not glorifying to you. And so, Father, um, we just pray right now that, that you would both gift us, use us, but glorify yourself. We thank you for King Jesus, his victory over death, the life-giving spirit that he imparts to us. And Lord, right now I pray that you would, you would fill us with your spirit so that we would sing praises to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.